Today's reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verses 17 through 26. Jesus teaches and heals. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for the power came out of him and healed all of them. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. The word of the Lord. Beginning seminary, I've certainly gained many, many more resources to feel more comfortable with preaching. In my 10 years of preaching, I really only did it on occasion when I was forced to on Youth Sunday, <laughs> in which I would just brag about the youth, because obviously. Come, going to seminary, I have all these resources, so I feel much more comfortable to be in the pulpit, as it were. So today I'm going to try it out. I haven't actually preached from this space since my senior year of high school with my Youth Sunday senior sermon. Hello. <laughs> Don't have that master's quite yet. It's a couple more months, but uh, hopefully we'll get there. Um, my family likes to say, so here's the thing. You know how there's always a thing? So here's the thing, because there's always a thing. This scripture is very difficult. And I've heard from many of you this morning who went to the learn how to read scripture in an engaging, less boring way. Those are my words. Um, the dean of my seminary, the woman who teaches preaching and homiletics, she came down and taught people how to read scripture in an engaging way dramatic theatrical way because that is her background so clearly she fits in with us and I've heard from a number of you that during this workshop her reaction was "Ooh, gosh who gets to do this <laughs> and Dave I guess talked with Jenny and said oh I can't wait to hear what you get to preach on this and Jenny said I'm not preaching on it Ashley is <laughs> So thank you, Jenny. I hope you're having such fun in Mexico, seeing the friends that I made in Takash and all those great things. <laughs> anyway, please pray with me. 
in the gift of this new day, in the gift of the present moment, in the gift of time and eternity intertwined. Let me be thankful. Let me be attentive. Let me be open to what has never happened before. In the gift of this new day, in the gift of the present moment, in the gift of time and eternity intertwined. Amen. Luke's Gospel begins. Since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us, I, too, have decided, after investigating everything carefully from the very first, to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. All four Gospels, though there are many similarities with stories, all four Gospels begin markedly very different. And this is how Luke's begins. It was customary at the time to begin letters in a very succinct and customary way, much more beyond the dear so-and-so. But here Luke takes a fairly traditional approach in writing to his patron, Theophilus. And Luke incorporates gratitude, much gratitude for his patron in his opening. <clears throat> As patron, Theophilus would have existed in a much higher strata in society. He would have had money, personal freedom, property ownership. Men of Theophilus's high position in society ranks were rare with people among the early church. This introduction speaks to the most excellent Theophilus who is concerned about the truth of his beliefs in Christ, pointing to anybody of any social strata, needs a little assurance when it comes to faith. Our scripture, which Dave read, is the beginning of Luke's Sermon on the Plain with our text, Luke's Beatitudes, much different than Mark's Beatitudes with the Sermon on the Mount. Before this event unfolds, Jesus has started his ministry of healing. He's just started his ministry of healing and has gone up into the mountains to pray and choose his disciples. Coming down from the mountain, a la Moses, Jesus kicks off his large-scale ministry in the region at this moment to a multitude of people from different regions and different backgrounds. They've come to hear and be healed. Many scholars encourage us to look at the larger scope of the book of Luke in relation to Jesus's words and his audience here in the story. So we have Luke's patron and the words of Jesus to the masses in his first sermon. They had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. Those who come with the masses, they're the marginalized, the poor, the hungry, the forgotten, and the other. And Jesus speaks directly to them. All while Luke is writing for his patron, Theophilus. So hear these Beatitudes again with these two audiences in mind. Blessed are you, poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And later, but woe to you who are rich, for who you have received your consolation. 
Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. This is a dicey, dicey piece for Luke to write to his patron. And it is a dicey, dicey subject to discuss here and now. So this makes me hyper aware of my current immediate social location. I'm safely ensconced in this beautiful sanctuary in Silicon Valley, in one of the wealthiest zip codes in the country. Preparing the sermon, I kept thinking, what am I going to do with this text? With its historical context and being aware of our own right now in this space. At first I thought, well, I know where my bank account places me. The, uh, church, bu the church budget is public, so uh, you can figure that out too. Mm -hmm. However, I know this isn't the whole truth. I grew up across the street. I attended top schools in the area. If something catastrophic were to happen to me, I have both financial and community safety nets. I come from privilege, and additionally, my skin color is automatically supported by society, institutions, and systems. I am female, so there's that thing, um, with its own barriers and problems, but overall, I'm in a secure place. And now as I look around the room, I'm very aware of our demographics, racially, economically, academically, geography, geogra geographically, to name a few. Yet, I know that these demographics are not the whole picture. I know this based on many of your own personal stories, your backgrounds growing up, your work in the world, and your desire to do good in the world. For Luke, the difference between rich and poor wasn't only money. It was the de denial of others' humanity, which is the direction I'd like to go with this sermon. One of my liturgical resources, Word Sunday, notes that one of the key pieces of modern morality is its emphasis on personal freedom and responsibility. If my actions as an individual do not injure others, then my actions are permissible. Seems fair enough. But again, this does not incorporate the whole picture. We live, though we are individuals, we live in community and in society. And therefore, we have to take certain responsibilities for this. And we see this happening through choosing social justice, something that this church is very familiar with. Stephen Mattson writes, Christians must recognize that our society is filled with numerous groups and communities facing systemic oppression and we must act. We must be willing to admit and address the complex realities within our world that create such problems and avoid the spiritual laziness that tempts us to rely on generic excuses and solutions. Jesus wasn't just preaching a universal salvation message for the world, but he was also addressing specific political, social, and racial issues. He was helping those who were being abused, violated, and oppressed. Involving ourselves with these issues, serving those today who need justice, 
is an example of following Jesus that today's Christians must adhere to. Because throughout the world, there are millions of people who are suffering. For Luke, Luke focuses on the rich, mainly focusing on the self. My actions do not impact other people, or maybe they do, and that doesn't matter. Luke argues that there is this larger picture of community. The poor have a sense of solidarity with one another. They focus on the goods of one another, the good of one another. So therefore, I think, as a church, complete with our diverse backgrounds and our financial, economic, academic, and geographic privileges, we can embody this solidarity and change systems that obstruct justice so that we can uphold the thriving of all people. And Valley strives to do this. I don't think this is new information. It's embedded in our DNA. Individuals, committees, groups, the whole church, we do this. And I have a couple of examples just from fairly recently. Last month, a group from here went up to San Francisco to the Department of Homeland Security to pray for and witness to a Russian public dissident refugee um, who was being detained by ICE and through Valley's participation alongside other faith leaders in the Bay Area, this man was then allowed to no longer be detained and see his family who lives in Palo Alto. Friday evening here, Valley hosted Covenant Networks, which is a national Presbyterian LGBTQIA organization. And Valley is moving towards becoming much more of an inclusive church. This is something that we've already done with this group of people, the gay, lesbian, trans, all the things, um, community, those who don't identify specifically with dual genders. And we are building those connections and fostering those relationships and taking a stand to show that we are an inclusive and inviting church. This happened on Friday. And right now, though they were just rafting, we have a group, and Ted and Anita are going tomorrow, down to our sister church in Takash. This group, almost 30 years that we've known, and we've fostered relationships, we've helped work alongside this community to build their sanctuary, their space, their worship space, their education building, their manse, water filtration system, and it's all, it's not so that we can give them the space, it's so that we can maintain and grow these relationships, these communities, because these relationships are truly transformational. This passage is very difficult, and it points to the social justice that's needed in the world, and Valley is hard at work, and this work doesn't end anytime soon. So keep in mind that we are doing good work, and the work continues. In areas that you feel called, speak up. Let us know where you think that we can provide hope for the world so that we can bring solidarity for the thriving of all people. Amen.